How would you define yourself? Bit of a strange question, maybe. But we all do it. We all subconsciously even are defining ourselves all the time. We do it by saying, I'm not that sort of person, or I'm this type of person. We define it by our fashion sense, or whether we just wear the same jumper every time it gets a bit cool. Some people are hat people. Some people aren't. How do you define yourself? What are the questions that you ask of yourself and of the world that you live in that shape your understanding of who you are? We're going to think about that a little bit today as we launch into our new series in this very short letter tucked away right at the end of your Bible just before you get to the very famous book of Revelation is the often forgotten letter of Jude. It's so short it only has one chapter. They didn't even bother making chapter divisions and it only has 25 verses. Would only take you about five minutes or so to read it to yourself, sitting comfortably somewhere. Jude is going to hit on this issue of identity. And even though it was written probably in the mid-60s AD, I think the questions and the issues that he brings to the surface for us are, well, they're worth considering even today. So over the next five weeks, we're going to go through these 25 verses. Some weeks we're only going to cover just a couple of verses at a time, like today. Other days we'll take a little bit larger chunk and just try to grasp what is it that God is saying through his servant Jude to us in this very strange year of 2020. I'm going to read the first couple of verses from the book of Jude just to try and hone in our attention. I really just want to focus on just the opening greeting, maybe your Bible might call it. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible and it says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Potentially, we could skip these two verses. It's like when you're watching Netflix and you're binge watching a series through, and you get to the end of one episode, and Netflix auto skips the intro to the next one. Or at least it asks you, do you want to skip the intro? And we say, yes, skip that bit. Let's get on to the real stuff. That would be a mistake if we did that to God's word. This isn't just the opening line like, I hope this email finds you well. 
there's some good things to consider here that Jude is going to point out. By the way, uh, I think of myself as a coffee person rather than a tea person. Some of you will have noticed that I've been drinking tea a little bit lately. Uh, I'm still a coffee person. That's part of my identity, I guess. In fact, um, I'm a good coffee person. So while I might drink instant coffee, most of the time that's just a uh, convenient carrier for caffeine. If I want to enjoy it, then it's good coffee. There are three things that I particularly want to consider about these two verses. Jude is a, an interesting character because he actually sets out to write this letter for a very different reason. We're going to come to that next week, but what motivated him to begin a letter is not where he ended up. We, we like to probably cherry-pick a couple of verses out of this little book if we reference it at all. Things like contending for the faith. That's a bit of a famous one. Um, there are some out there who are more contentious than others, I guess, but that's often a verse that they like to turn to. Jude says, contend for the faith. But I think there's plenty of other things that Jude is going to raise for us. In particular, today, I want to just focus on three of them. Here's the first. Jude's faith, by extension our faith, it's, it's more important than our family ties. Family is one way that we identify ourselves with. Even just the way that we name ourselves in the Western part of the world, at least, with a first name and a surname helps identify who we belong to. Um, I'm a Thomas. That's my, my family name. And because that is my family name, I'm easily identified with the larger Thomas clan. In fact, if I get together in certain parts of Queensland, at least, where I grew up, and I mention that my name is Chris Thomas... I will have people invariably ask me, which Thomases do you belong to? And they will start to list a number of different clans, different family groups. Well, when I was a younger guy, um, I'd go somewhere and say, my name is Chris Thomas, and I would soon be asked, are you Phil Thomas's son? Or on occasion, are you Wally Thomas's grandson? Of course, I was always proud, I think I was always proud, to answer yes to both of those questions because that formed part of my identity. But Jude says that our faith is more important than our family ties. I want you to notice how he starts this letter. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. He could have started this letter very differently. You see, Jude is actually Jesus' brother. 
He could have pulled rank. He could have name-dropped. He could have said, I'm important and you need to listen to what I have to say because I'm the brother of Jesus. He doesn't. Jude identifies him first and foremost. He identifies himself as a servant. We can conclude from that that no matter who we're related to, no matter where we've come from, no matter our family's prestige or not, as a Christian, we serve Christ. Not ourselves. We serve Christ as Lord. He is the Master. Jude identifies himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. That's important. That's a foundational part of who we are. Our identity. Jesus is our Lord and King. But so often I live my life like I am the one who deserves attention. I get upset when I don't get enough attention, maybe. I feel slighted when people don't give me the recognition that I think I deserve. But you can see Jude's attitude here. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude is first and foremost a servant. So are we. But secondly... We trust Christ and not family for salvation. Look, I, I didn't realize it when I was younger, but I grew up with the immense blessing of having godly, a godly family, godly grandparents, a godly heritage. Men and women who loved Jesus with all their hearts and followed after him as sincerely as they knew how and demonstrated that clearly on a daily basis. I probably just shrugged it off when I was a kid, but the older I get, the more I realize what a blessing that is. But I'm not walking with Jesus today because I had a godly Example, I'm not walking with Jesus today because my dad is a Christian or my mum is a Christian or my grandparents were Christians. Your family heritage, your lineage, while it's a blessing, while it influences you, is not the source of your salvation. Many of the people that would have received this letter Jewish Christians, maybe, they had a, a cultural bias towards establishing how important they were by tracing their family heritage to what tribe of Israel, maybe, that they belonged to. And maybe we can't identify with that, but yet we still do it to a certain degree, particularly those of us who may have grown up in church where we want to we want people to know where we've come from and who we're connected with we name drop this is who 
I belong to. And so we begin to shape our identity by the people that we think we're connected to. And maybe it's not family, but maybe it's a particular a tribe of Christian thought. Maybe it's a particular blog that you read or a particular podcast that you like to listen to or a particular preacher that you tune into. And we say, I'm, I'm of these people. This is who I am. But Jude shows us that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. Yes, he's the brother of James. James, the, one of the real pillars of the church in Jerusalem. But he trusts Christ for salvation, not family. So our faith is more important than our family ties. There's something else here that I think it's worth digging out. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing I want to bring out of this little greeting, this little opening. It's this, our theological identity, in the sense of, what I mean by that is, who God says we are, it's more important than where we live, what family we belong to, whether you're a coffee drinker or a tea drinker, what your fashion sense is, what translation you like to read from, maybe even what church you identify with and call home. Who God says you are is more important than any of those things. In fact, the way that this letter starts is often quite unusual, maybe in comparison to the way we might send a letter to someone. We often greet people, and in fact, many of the other letters in the New Testament, when Paul writes, he might say, to the saints gathered in Philippi, or to the, to the saints gathered in Jerusalem, or Galatia, or any number of other geographical locations. And we would expect that. We might greet someone and say, well, to those who are gathered you know, in Newcastle, or in Sydney, or in Maine, but Jude says, to those who are the called, who are loved, who are kept. Because he knows that our theological identity is more important than our geographical location or any other measure that we use to identify who we are as people. Us Aussies are pretty proud people. We're patriotic in a non-American sense. We don't put our hand over our hearts when the national anthem comes on. But we love our country, don't we? I've travelled around the place, overseas even on a few occasions, and there's something nice about being identified as an Australian. And even when you meet somebody of your own cultural background and you meet them somewhere else, there's an immediate sense of patriotism, immediate sense of connection to say, yeah, we understand what it means and we're proud of our country. I love it. But ultimately, I'm not identified as an Aussie. 
I'm identified by who God says I am. And that's the same for you also. And there are three things that he he says here, which I think are worth highlighting. The first is this. To those who are the called. I'm not sure that you grasp the significance of that. God has called you by name. You're known by God. You're not some insignificant statistic in this world. Even though of the billions of people that have lived on this earth currently and the billions that have lived before us, God has seen through all of time and space and he knows you and he knows you by name and he has called you by name. You're known by God. I'm not even really talking about the type of arguments that some Christians get into as to whether or not you identify yourself as a Calvinist or an Arminian. Maybe those terms don't mean much to you. That's fine. Maybe they're very important to you. Maybe you identify yourself that way or you identify others that way and you make decisions as to whether or not they're good people or not, whether they're deluded or not. Not the point here. God has looked at you and he has called you. You are known by him. I love the little verse in 1 John 4 verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If today you know Jesus Christ in, in a sense of not just know of him or know about him, but you know him. He's the shepherd that came and rescued you when you were the wandering sheep. When, when you call out to God, you don't call out to him as someone distant, but you call to him as a father. It's because he has called you and known you and loved you. We love because he first loved us. We're called. And we're loved. To those who are the called, loved by God the Father. If you've been a Christian for a while, or at least hung out in a church for a while, the concept that God is loving is probably not foreign to you. I know I've grown up in church most of my life, most of my life that I can remember. I've been a part of a local church. I grew up hearing the stories of the Bible read. I, I hear up no, knowing the good news of the gospel and hearing it on a regular basis. I know that God loves me. But let me tell you a, a little secret. One of my greatest struggles as a Christian, even though I know that God loves me, is actually really understanding that. 
I've struggled for large portions of my life with questions of self-worth, questions of what I contribute to the world, what my value is, what my identity is. Maybe that was influenced by some of my early childhood and growing up in as a minority culture, in a different culture, moving from different cultures to another, I think contributed to my uncertainty. I don't regret those things, just identify them as that they've influenced the way that I, I think and view myself. And, and there's been often in my Christian walk that I've, I've thought that maybe God just tolerates me. Have you ever felt that? That sense that even though the Bible says God loves, but maybe he just loves other people. Surely he couldn't love a sinful person like me. Man, if you only knew half, if you only knew half of the rottenness of my life, you'd be disgusted. I am of myself. I know my shortcomings and my pride and my sinfulness. I think surely God can't love a sinner like me. And, and so we can use these twisted sense of identity to shape how I think about myself and how I think about the world and how I think about God and others even. But Jude is saying to those who are the called... Not tolerated by God the Father, but loved by God the Father. That book that I quoted from before, that letter from John. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children. And he says, and we are. See what great love the Father has given us. It's amazing. God sees all the parts of my life that, that the vast majority of you will never see. And he loves me. And he sees your life. And he loves you. I, I love going back and reading Luke 15, it's where you find the story of what we often call the prodigal son. You know it. A father who has two sons, one who stays behind and one who leaves, abandons his family, runs for a foreign land to live a life that suits himself. But I love the picture of the father that Jesus portrays as he tells his listeners that story. This father who stands and watches and waits. And even though he'd been so deeply hurt, so deeply abandoned, when he sees his son broken, walking back towards the family home, he runs to him. He hugs him and he kisses him and he embraces him and he celebrates him. See what great love 
the Father has given us. That we should be called God's children, and we are. Do you believe that? One of my other favorite passages to use to help remind me, to to preach the gospel to myself when my mind is thinking in ungospel ways. Romans 8, that beautiful chapter. In particular, verses 38 and verse 39. For I am persuaded, Paul says. And we have to do this. There are so many things about ourselves that would teach us that God, well, God surely can't love us. I've done this again. But I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you. Don't let that wash over you. So we're called and we're loved. Jude says and we're kept. Romans 8 again, just a little bit earlier, verse 30. It says, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, we could break that verse down into a whole series of sermons on its own, but I just want you to notice one thing about it. All of those words are in the past tense. God has already done this. He's called you. Past tense. He's justified you. Past tense. He's sanctified you. He's glorified you. All of those things God has already done is a part of his keeping work. He's holding on to you. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 says, You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be received in the last time. God is guarding you. No one's getting past that guard. Nothing. And so Jude is able to confidently say to his listeners, and he's confidently able to say it to us today, to those who are the called, God's called you. And loved by God the Father. God loves you. And those kept for Jesus Christ. God is standing guard over you. Those three theological identities shape who we are. Much more than where we live. Or who we belong to. Or what fashion sense. Or what tribe. Or God has called you, you are called, you are loved, and you are kept. And then verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Our spiritual blessings, these are spiritual blessings. These are something that God has given us. And they are far more important than anything else in this world. That any material possession, any other identity that we may think is important, any other skill or talent, 
we've received mercy, peace, and love. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. We're the sort of people, aren't we, in our culture? We love to see people get what they deserve. Some crime is committed, and justice says that person must receive what they deserve. What do we deserve? And yet we have received mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, a few verses from this great chapter, says in, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, now working in the disobedient. And we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of the flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace, Paul says. But God. I love the but God verses of the Bible. So even though... Even though, Paul says, we were deserving of wrath, even though we were dead in our trespasses, even though we have nothing to cling to that makes us in any way set apart from anybody else in this world, even though that is the case, but God. But God, who is what? Rich in mercy. May mercy Peace and love be multiplied to you. We have a God who is rich in mercy. And this great blessing of his mercy towards us. Makes us rich with him. We've also received peace. Received peace with God. We've received peace with man. Even peace with ourselves. That same book, that same chapter, Ephesians 2, just a little bit further down in verse 12. It says, At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. It goes on to talk about in that little passage in Ephesians. How because Christ who is our peace is at work. We have been made into one new body. Peace with each other and peace with God. And even peace with ourself. 
but we've also received love. The love that we have been shown in Christ, again, in Ephesians, but now in chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. And I pray that he might grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May mercy, peace and love be multiplied to you. Did you notice multiplied to you? Not just one dose of mercy, one dose of peace, one dose of love. Now make sure you make that last for your lifetime. You're not going to get any more. It's not how God works. May mercy, peace and love be multiplied, poured out, abundant in your life. Christ is our peace. So this is our identity. It's not what the world says we are. It's not even what you say you are. It's not whether you're a coffee drinker or a tea drinker, fashionable, wealthy, poor. Whether you come from a a well-established family or whether your family has experienced broken and fractured pasts. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, To those who are the called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you.